Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Comic Book Curious. Please introduce yourself and tell us your occupation. Hello, my name is Lucy Bellwood. I am a professional adventure cartoonist. Now, what is an adventure cartoonist? It's a made-up name. It's a made-up title. Turns out there are no rules. You can do whatever you want in this life. There are some rules, but you know, mostly uh, not so many rules when you're self-employed. It's a title that I used uh, to classify what I do for a living because I am not a very indoors kind of person. I got my start working on tall ships, uh, enormous 18th century replica sailing vessels, and got into making comics about that when I started about a decade ago. And I realized pretty quickly that saying I was a cartoonist didn't leave people a lot of imaginative opportunity to understand that what I wanted to do was make comics about tall ship sailing and whitewater rafting and the, you know, traveling around the world, doing science and exploring things. And so I, it took me a few years, maybe, I don't know, five, six years to hit on the right combination of words, but adventure cartoonist, I feel like, even though people always ask, what is that exactly? Like they know, they kind of know. It's brilliant. Well, how did that transition happen for you? Did you just, you've always been an artist and you said, okay, this is it. It's going to be tall ships. Or how did that, that first one how did that happen? Uh, the first comic? Yeah. I would say the, the Cliff Notes version of this story is I've always written and drawn. It, I, I say often that I was kind of dense. It took me a while to realize that I could make comics and that would mean drawing and writing at the same time. But a lot of the many years I was doing one or the other. I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of other stuff. I didn't get into comics until or I didn't get into drawing my own comics, I should say, until after I'd already become a tall ship sailor. So that decision was not influenced in any way by uh, marketable content. But when I got started making my own comics, I was a very avid web comics reader throughout high school and college. So between, you know, 2004 and 2012, uh, I would say, which was kind of a heyday for the early web comics boom. And a lot a lot of the people I was seeing in those spaces were not waiting for publisher permission. They were just kind of making their own stories and sharing them in the way that felt most interesting to them. And I definitely took inspiration from that when it came time to make my first mini comic. I went to a week long workshop at the Center for Cartoon Studies in White River Junction, Vermont. It's always a lot of words to say in succession. It is a, a master's program for cartoonists. And they offer these summer classes that are like intensive workshops where you can go for a week and just eat, sleep, breathe comics. And that was my first time really being in an environment that encouraged me to take making my own comics seriously. And that was when I churned out the first eight page mini comic I ever made, which was about tall ship sailing. And that kind of led me to become for a long time. It was just like tall ships and comics was the brand. And over time, I started doing other kinds of expeditions. And so now it's adventure cartoonist is a much more wide ranging discussion. And it's like, I've bent the rules a little bit because now I do comics about mental health as well. And so oftentimes I'll be like, these are internal adventures of the human spirit. And then these are like external adventures where you go on a walk or on a boat or on a whatever. So there's a, a wide range there. Go ahead, Lucy. <laughs> That's incredible. So wait, you said you come from a theater background mm -hmm. uh, and you mentioned Vermont. Is that, where do you home from? Where, where, where did I grew up uh, where I am calling from today, Ojai, California, which is a little town about two hours north of Los Angeles. And for the last 10, 11 years, I've been up in Portland. I moved up there for college. And that was where I did most of my comics community building. A couple of the cartoonists I really admired, Dylan McConus and Erica Moen, were both part of a studio in Portland that was called Heli or excuse me, was called Periscope, is now called Helioscope due to some boring legal issues. It's a, the largest collective of cartoonists in North America. It's a, a freelancer's studio of a bunch of people working together. And to my little baby cartoonist mind, it seemed like the dream. So that was where I wanted to stay after college. And um, I ended up becoming a member there and running the mentorship program for a few years. I'm technically still involved in that, but I just moved back down to my hometown a couple months ago. I had, had never heard of your town mm -hmm. uh, in my life until yesterday. And I am going to be visiting there tomorrow and Thursday. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we could have hi. done this interview in person, you know, That's at a crazy. distance, yelling at each other across <laughs> the patio. Yeah, we're going to be hiking and just hanging out at some hotel. Uh, you probably know it. Probably uh, do. It's a small town. That's really funny. <laughs> small uh, world. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Are you in the LA area then? I am right now. I will be headed back to Pennsylvania. I've been a New Yorker for 20 years. And wow. then LA, uh, my, my girlfriend lives in, in, in LA, mm -hmm. but we're in San Diego with her mom fighting, fighting cancer uh, oh, right yeah. now. And then- yeah, and I'll go back to to PA to be with my fam for a couple months, and then yeah. back to Los Angeles. 
it's a weird time to be moving around. I came down here to help look after my dad and it's definitely like COVID I think has a way of prioritizing your close community in a way that it really, it doesn't always at the rest of the time, there's this tension between, I mean, right. Adventure cartooning, you know, it's a great, exciting, glamorous, independent career or whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) But it's something that, you know, was very, I was away a lot. I traveled a lot. I didn't get to see my family a lot. And the last couple of years, there's definitely been more of a, a tension in me between wanting to be where my people are and wanting to get to go take advantage of all these amazing opportunities that come attached to my work. And it's, it's a real struggle all the time. I think it's one of the biggest struggles of the freedom that comes with being self-employed or having, you know, a weird, fun, made up career. (laughs) I love that you have a made up and I love, I want to be where my people are. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so tell me about you, you grew up doing theater because uh, just to give you some background, I was in New York. I did some theater. I did some TV. A lot of my friends are you know Broadway cats and pro- mm-hmm. producers and stuff. So um, this podcast and interview series, it actually starts with a bunch of Broadway stars and people. Oh, wow. Really interesting. Uh, and we're and I'm trying to bring both worlds together and be, be like, who's your favorite superhero and why? And these questions that you have are different. <laughs> Because a lot of them are like Marvel or DC. Wait, is that green lit? Uh, you know, so. It's- I mean, I am definitely in that camp. I will fully <laughs> admit that I, uh, everything I know yeah. about uh, all of this is through osmosis. I've never been much of a mainstream comics reader. And uh, even now, ironically, I think now that it's my career, I read fewer comics than I did when I was not a cartoonist. Uh, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, who- I, I read fiction and nonfiction for pleasure, but I read very few comics. How about that? That's that for me, it's a brand new world and I'm learning so much about it. And this is uh, a great way to go about it. It seems like you're going to get a real kind of taste of the industry and get to talk to a lot of different people. Yeah. And and the little that I know, I've watched a whole bunch of documentaries now, but from what I know, from what little I know, uh, the independent comic world is and the non-superhero world mm-hmm. is massive and growing. And to an outsider or to someone who isn't <clears throat> you know, deep into that world, you, you just think, oh, superhero comics, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or you think Marvel Cinematic Universe, or you think like, oh, that must be where the money is. And you don't understand that, you know, the top selling book, not graphic novel book in the entire American market comes from a middle grade cartoonist, Raina Telgemeier. Her latest book came out and was the best selling book in North America the week of its release. Outsold adult books, fiction books, nonfiction, whatever, all of that stuff. And it's like the market, because it is for kids or because it's seen as being, you know, like not whatever it is that writing the pop culture zeitgeist it's like you ask any kid under 15 they know who Raina Telgemeier is but everybody over that although I would I would guess some of her fans are older than that now given when her first book came out but like it's a very there's a weird schism between those two worlds and it's cool to see that there is starting to be a little bit more of a a groundswell I suppose under the indie comic scene it even seems strange to call it indie comics right like if market-wise they're outperforming superhero projects but it also questions you know I'm, I'm curious whether you're your Broadway connections, if there is a uh, perceived crossover there, like the only Broadway superhero crossover I can think of was Julie Taymor's ill-fated Spider-Man musical project. But I don't know if there have been other forays in the same way that Hollywood is now like superheroes, like we got to get in on that comic book money, which doesn't often translate to a lot of money for the cartoonists in question, but you know, is like raising the profile of comics in the wider public consciousness. And do you see there being a similar trend in theater or is that not something that has (laughs) exploded now? Yeah, the theater world, um, my best friend's a Broadway and film producer, and she's now doing a remake of the movie Beaches. Do you remember Bette Midler? from? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Broadway shows are very difficult to make, and nine out of ten fail, right? So um, uh, that's why they they often take known uh, IPs and, and run with them. Uh, and they, sure. they have these limited runs for sometimes, you know, at, To Kill a Mockingbird, still starring, you know, fill in the celebrity because the way it works is you don't make your money back until, you know, if you, if you're spending $10 million to to put the show on and your rent is $800,000 a a week or or a month, you got to really sell well to make your money back. And that's why most shows fail. So, uh, so like Harry Potter, right. You know, that, that, that was a big, a big success, Mm -hmm. but it's one of the most important important brands in, in the world, right? Right. So as far as comics go, it's more about movies uh, yeah. and turning them into to, to Broadway shows. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, everyone said, oh, now, now because of Hamilton and its massive success, we're going to film stuff. And it's really mm. hard to say, oh, because of Hamilton, because Hamilton was 
definitely a unicorn. There's never going to be another Hamilton again. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. I, yeah. I just don't know very much about that world right now. So I'm, I'm curious to, uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. It's, it's been it, it, like you were saying earlier, it's been a very interesting thing to see my, you know, professional performer friends kind of have to reevaluate their situation and go, okay, so sure. Ooh, all right. Well, what what else is, is there? <laughs> so yeah. I was just rewatching the first season of uh I don't know if you've seen Staged, the um British television series. It is about Michael Sheen and David Tennant playing two actors who are about to start a play with a first-time director in the West End in London and it gets shut down because of COVID and it's about their trials and tribulations of trying to rehearse the show over Zoom in the course of the pandemic. It was like topical pandemic comedy, which generally would have made me cringe, but it is so well done and so funny and so unexpectedly heartwarming, but also like a very accurate portrayal of what happens when you take a bunch of people who are used to performing in front of, you know, cameras and crowds and lock them in their homes and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have oh. to kind of slowly uh, go insane. But yeah, it's on Hulu. I would recommend it. Yeah, I would love to check that out. Speaking of Hulu, I am a facilitator for Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, Freestyle Love Supreme Academy. Uh, Lin was, he has a rap improv troupe and he has okay. in the Heights and it's Chris Jackson, David Diggs, James mm-hmm. Iglehart, uh, Wayne Bray's a part of it. And it's basically whose lines in any way, but just rap. Wow. And they had a Broadway run right before COVID. Uh, uh-huh. And it was a huge hit. And uh, they, they have an academy now. And I'm one wow. of the, the people that as an adult or a child, you can want to take improv classes. It's kind of like the UCB, but with rap. Uh, yeah. And that's what we've been building. It's a really beautiful, fun, welcoming community. You don't have to be good. It's just about having fun and letting go and, and freestyle love. There's a lot of love in it. So. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Yeah. So you grew up doing musical theater or. No, it wasn't my bag. I'm not a singer. Uh, mostly stage plays, but you know, I bounced around a lot throughout, uh, childhood. It's a very creative town, Ohio. There's a lot of theater people here, really vibrant community theater scene. So I was acting, from a pretty early age, I mean, maybe like eight or so being in community theater productions and getting involved in stuff and then moved into technical theater in high school, was working as a lighting designer in the area for a while and then got into playwriting, wrote a play that was produced at a local theater here and kind of thought that was what I was going to do when I went off to college. And once I got there, I think there was kind of a jarring adjustment from realizing that community theater, small town theater, high school theater, like there's a lot of flexibility there. You can play kind of whoever you want to play. And if you're talking about like going out into the traditional casting worlds, like I would, because of the way that I look and the way that I am, you know, whatever versatility I brought to the stage would still probably end up playing a certain type of character. It's not, I'm not going to get cast as Gandalf, right? Like that's not going to happen. Maybe in certain circumstances, but like even then. And I think that was kind of a sobering realization when I got into the world of like, oh, do I really want to go and like suck the joy out of this by turning it into that grind? And it's a weird trade-off. You know, there's a lot of conversations happening around this in the comic scene right now of like what are we as a community holding up as markers of success what are we talking about when we talk about stability in our careers what are the benefits of having something like the writers guild you know or the animation guild or like something that is going to give us collective bargaining power can we institute something like that in an industry with such a varied freelance professional workforce like it's a real thorny interesting question and especially as more mainstream publishers are getting involved in the world and like starting to pick up more and more properties. Um, Traditional publishing was often held up as like, this is the thing that means you're a real cartoonist. And like a lot of people are getting those book deals and recognizing that financially it's not enough to live on. You know, it's not, it's not gonna um, keep the lights on if you're having to draw full time. And so I think a lot of the the really interesting stuff in my career is, you know, I'm, I'm interested in drawing comics. I love all that stuff. Weirdly, I feel like I spend 80% of my time thinking about like the actual bones of the industry and the financial sustainability action and like how, how we engage with these questions of like, what does success look like? What does stability look like? What does value look like? What does interdependence look like? And all of those things are questions that I find really fruitful to explore through the comics community, through this particular creative space. But I think it's also something that I struggle with sometimes because it it feels sometimes like that is more my primary identity and cartooning is like a sort of a thing that I do on the way to doing whatever this is but like this is the meat like this is the thing I'm really engaged in so there I I think for cartoonists right now like there's so much that's changing so much that's shifting and so much you know COVID in COVID and beyond like so much reevaluation that's happening at this moment and I think it's kind of similar to what I went through with theater where it was like I want to keep doing this you know this brings me so much joy. I love it. I'm good at it. But 
there is a trade-off that happens when you make something your work, your job that you get paid to do. When you put the pressure of performance and I mean, literal performance with theater, but also like, you know, performance in the marketplace, needing to make money, needing to make a living. And like, it is a huge burden. And people said this all throughout my young career of like, you know, you got to be careful what you do with your hobbies. You have to be careful what you monetize in your life because we live in a culture right now and so much more so now than when I was starting out. I can't even imagine resisting the pressure as a young cartoonist today because when I was getting started, like I didn't know anybody who was making a living off of their art. I was in fucking high school. I had no idea. Mm. <laughs> but now it's like, what, what does this mean for younger creators who are coming up in a social media marketplace where everybody's first thought when they see something you've made that's creative is you should sell that. Mm. You could monetize that. You could, you know, I know somebody who had a Kickstarter that was super successful or impressive or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's like the pressure is enormous. And the temptation is enormous because we all, you know, we hear the success stories. We think, oh my God, that could be me. I feel like a lot of my career has kind of been navigating this tension between wanting to get paid for what I do and wanting to get paid fairly for what I do. There's a lot of conversations in the comics industry around what fair pay looks like for creators, given that we're an industry where most of the time people are paid according to a page rate in traditional comics. And that can be anywhere from 25 to $400 a page. But if you're talking about paying people hourly for the work that they do, you know, even, and let's say an average page rate is two to $300, that's like, that's a pretty decent rate. But how many hours go into a page of comics? And like, for most people, that's multiple hours if you're talking about scripting and thumbnailing and laying everything out. And so you start to kind of question like the whole foundation that the industry is built on financially is designed to burn people out. I mean, that's not, you know, it's not the original like set aim. The aim is to make comics fast enough to make money. But the side effect is that as people are starting to try to pursue this as a full-time career, they're recognizing that it's deeply unsustainable. And mm. I think that's where the stuff that I see happening on Patreon or on Kickstarter or on these kind of alternative funding models, direct patronage, whatever you want to call it, is the movement right now, I feel like, is there are a collective of, I would say, like mid-career cartoonists, indie cartoonists who are kind of hitting this point of like, okay, we've establish some degree of success in a sort of traditional capitalist sense, but also what we're really looking for is being able to buy back our own creative freedom. And so it's almost like coming back around to that space that you start from with theater, with comics, with whatever, and saying like, okay, I know what brings me joy. I know why I got into this. I know, you know, where I started from. I find myself in a position where I am hustling constantly. I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. I'm constantly thinking about the bottom line. It's not feeling rewarding or joyous to do this work, what does it take to bridge that gap, right? What does it take to get back to that place where you're able to do the work that you love in a way that nourishes you and connects you to a community of like-minded people and, you know, fits, ticks all the boxes, fits all the bills, also maybe enacts some sort of culture change at the same time to like encourage people to think outside the bounds of traditional capitalism. It's big stuff. It's big stuff. <laughs> It's huge. I and think about it too much all the time. Yeah, it's obvious. And you you are obviously a champion of artists and cartoonists and, and creators. And I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, what does that look like? Is it a Patreon or is it someone or, or, that I have a hundred million dollars? I, I just want to support creative, you know, creative endeavors or, yeah. or what is that? What is the what is the answer? What is that structure? And and the other question that that I'm thinking about is, uh, which is what got me interested in this in the first place, is working with kids in Harlem and Flint, Michigan, and and Far Rockaway in the Bronx. I realized that it's a participatory medium now. They, they mm -hmm. participate. It's TikTok. It's YouTube. It's whatever they decide, uh, and they they are they expect to be involved in this creation and they mm. to create so how do we give people uh something to do together to yeah. create so then a kid in harlem learns about a chinese kid and a chinese kid learns about a brazilian kid and and uh there's this is a way to connect people through creativity and get to people to actually empathize with each other and create a global uh awareness because right now we're very isolated especially during covid absolutely and, and, but then sort of weirdly simultaneously i think the I have connected with more people at a distance, uh, you know, as we've all become more adept at Zoom and like reaching out to each other through these different formats where it's like, well, there are some ways in which I've become, I've certainly become more connected to my immediate community, right? Like civic politics, that kind of local engagement, really drilling down to like, what is the, who are the people on my block? Like, what is the, you know, composure of my neighborhood? But then also 
yeah, connecting with more people at a distance. And I, I am really curious to see about how this will play out in time with the number of workshops and offerings that have been online. I have a friend who's a cartoonist, um, Cara Bean, who makes comics about mental health, is working on a graphic novel about sort of understanding depression and anxiety in the brain if you're a kid and like what that looks like and means and ways that you can take care of yourself and your mental health. And I think her work is just so magnificent and valuable. And she's been running these drawing workshops online or, you know, gatherings where like kids can just show up and draw with her. And it's like the kind of stuff that you would originally have to live close enough to a library where there was a cartoonist in residence or whatever. And now there's this opportunity. And, you know, if the kids are fluent in and they have access to Zoom, which is a big if uh, in a lot of cases. But if there is the opportunity for that kind of access, then, you know, you're able to share those exercises. And I think comics especially lend themselves so well. And Kara was actually just saying something about this on Patreon the other day that like there is a almost a sort of rehabilitatory benefit for the cartoonist as well that running a workshop, and I find this to be true too, if I go and do a convention and I'm doing a drawing game uh, in front of an audience of kids and they're just like calling out, I'm like, okay, I need an animal. And they're like, it's a jaguar, you know, it's an elephants, time, penguins. And I just have to draw whatever they're saying as quickly as I can. There is no time to be caught up in my own head thinking about like, what are the financial and capitalist ramifications of this drawing of a tiger? I'm like, I'm just going to draw a tiger. I've got to draw a tiger right now. I can't look up a reference. There's no time for that. Right. And that I think is really, it's valuable for me too. You know, it's a, right. it's a gift to like, remember that when you're a kid, you're just making stuff up. You're just like, we're just going to see where this goes, you know? And like, you don't need to have a particular end goal. You don't have to be precious about it. And that's the space that I think we all want to stay in. You know, that's the space that we that we are given when we're younger, that is hopefully encouraged by the people who raise us, who we have access to, who we're close to, who teach us. And then as adults, it's it's a thing that people talk about, like having to relearn it. Or I don't know, I think it is something that's just innate to human beings. It's the way that we connect with each other. It's more a question of caring for it, right? Or like nurturing it, cultivating it. And it's those those kinds of words. What's your dream for for the future of creators? Boy, that's a big question. Uh, a dream for the future of creators. I suppose the thing that the last few years has gotten me thinking about is who has the freedom to be able to pursue the ideas that really light them up. And I and I and the models that really light them up. And I have been talking with a couple friends about this even just over the last couple of weeks of how as I was saying earlier, like you, you have to achieve a certain degree of material stability in order to play in the ways that we want to play and to experiment and to like create, you know, again, this possible culture shift of like, okay, but what if my friend Luke just launched a project, he made a 110 page mini comic, which at that point is really more of a, a book, a small book than a mini comic. And he printed 2000 copies of it himself. And he put up a website and said, this comic is being released on a pay it forward model. So there is a form. And if you want a copy of the comic, you write your name and address in the form and you will be sent one for free. There is no transaction. There's no exchange of money. He's already paid to print them all. If you would like to pay it forward so that other people can get copies of the comic for free as well, you can do that here. Here's a PayPal button. And the thing that he has noticed, this project launched last week. And when we were talking about it uh, on Thursday, he said the thing he had noticed was about a third of the people who had claimed the comic, two thirds of the comics were spoken for at that point, just about maybe a third of the people had chosen to pay it forward, but the amount that they had paid it forward, given that it costs about $4 to produce and send a comic. And most people were giving like 20 to a hundred bucks, you know? So awesome. the idea you were saying earlier, like, what is it, does it look like somebody with a hundred million dollars wanting to just give it away? And it's a weird thing to say, like, what is my hope for the future of creators? And I want to be like, wealth redistribution, <laughs> like that's like tax the 1%, Boom. but that's it. Like, I, I think, and it's not, it, it is a massive culture shift, but it, it's also like, it's universal basic income. Like, that's what I want to see for creators. That's what I see, want to see for everybody because it's not a question of, you know, oh, this just makes life better for comics creators. It's like, this makes life better for everybody. If you know that you are going to have a roof over your head and you're going to be able to feed yourself and your family, suddenly there is so much more mental energy. And when I think about freedom, that's what I think about. It's like the opportunity to make choices that are of your own design, the space to think about what your goals are and how to go after them. It is so hard to keep a bead on that stuff when you're freelancing. 
And so if most cartoonists have to go through a grind of like six to eight years that might burn them out irreparably in order to reach enough stability to be able to think, okay, what do I really want to do with my life? Is like, right. what if you could just do that from day one? That would be so nice. So yeah, universal basic income. That's my, <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> All right, Andrew Yang in the house running for mayor of New York City. Oh boy. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> That is great. You know, and that's another thing, speaking of, you know, of politics, uh, and I, I, we don't have to get into politics. I'm, I'm pretty far left. And one of the things that I, I think that you, you addressed is what can we all agree upon? And I mean, whether, mm. whether or not it, you know, it's Star Wars or Star Trek, you know, half the world are Star Trek fans, right? Or the Avengers, you know, you happen to be in a, a very, a highly creative thing but if you if you mm-hmm. if we zoom out and we think about the billions of people that are watching yeah. that how do we how do we find some type of uh agreement uh whether it's historical fiction or what you're doing with with mental health or whatever that doesn't get politicized and i and i think about that what 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 do we create that is something that fosters empathy and it seems that yeah. that's on your mind Oh, big time, all the time, big time, all the time. Yeah. And especially this week, you know, it's funny, you're asking these questions of like, oh, do I know any real life superheroes? And it really got me, st- I, I chewed on it for hours. Like I wrote about it. I was trying to think of like, what, what is it that like is, is nagging my mind about this question? And it got me started thinking about how one of the things that I find, and I know there are plenty of comics that do examine this complexity of like the, the ambivalence of heroics as a sort of, you know, it's, it is the whole genre of superhero comics is really, you know, their conversations about power and who has it and how they wield it and what they do with it. And something that I struggle with, with that genre is that it feels so divisive in terms of like, there are people, you know, the people with power are responsible for the people without power. But I think the stories, and I know they're out there. And again, just not being a super wide reader in that genre, I haven't had an opportunity to encounter them. Um, If any people watching this have recommendations, please send them to me. I will go look them up. But the stories that I'm really interested in right now, obviously are stories about interdependence and stories about how, and so when I was thinking about, you know, usually when we talk about like real life superheroes, it's often, you know, doctors and like people who are in Mother Teresa, you know, people who are out there like selflessly giving away all of their skills to help other people. And I don't think that's bad. You know, I want to be really clear that I'm not like, oh, this is, you know, we should fuck Mother Teresa. Like that's not, uh, that's not my bag. But (laughs) I guess the reason it brought me up short is that I was trying to think about how calling somebody a superhero to my mind runs the risk of depriving them of the right to ask for help. And to say, you know, oh, what you're doing is so heroic doesn't leave room for the possibility that you might be a doctor, you might be saving lives, you might be going and giving shots every day and like vaccinating people against COVID. And there may be some days where you show up and you are not on your A game and you are grumpy and people are rude to you and you're having a really hard time and like your dog is sick at home and you don't want to be here. And to call somebody a hero, I think robs them of the opportunity to like fully inhabit that complexity of being human, right? And the fact that, and I think I did write about this when we when we pre-gamed some of these answers that yeah. they're... I, I do absolutely love and will defend to the death uh, the animated film uh, Into the Spider-Verse because I think it is just like an absolutely perfect piece of cinema. It's so perfect. I love it. Yeah. And the moment, the like climactic scene where Miles Morales jumps off the side of this skyscraper, we've established in the story already that he can't unstick his sticky web hands from things when he's freaked out. And there's this shot where you see him jump off the side of the skyscraper and it's like totally breathtaking and the music is incredible. And just like, even talking about it, I am getting goosebumps on my body right now. I've seen this movie, I don't know how many times, but there's a close shot where you see him pull away from the side of the skyscraper and his hand is still stuck to the glass and like the, the glass shatters with him. And this moment of like, it's being heroic is like, And that's the sort of glamorous singular hero cinematic version, right? Of like, you're scared and you're doing it anyway. But I think there's also this other side of it of like, sometimes we're petty and we don't do the best. Sometimes we don't leap off the building. Sometimes we just go to the top of the building. We stand there for a while and we're like, well, I made it this far. And I suppose heroism as a concept makes me nervous because I think it, it elevates and distances rather than intersecting and combining right and and that's the stuff that i and again i know there are stories that are more about like heroes having to ask for help or communities of people coming together but i, w- I want more of those stories like that's the stuff that i feel like to to your point is the thing that 
kind of brings people together in this feeling of like, <clears throat> we are able to look out for each other, but also to be graceful with each other, to leave room for the times when we maybe can't live up to that label or that distinction. And in fact, you know, it's, it's not as uh, power fantasy-ish as all that. It's, it's more to do with like the quotidian everyday muck of the world kind of stuff, <laughs> the Mr. Rogers stuff, right? And even Mr. Rogers gets held up as this, as this heroic and sort of like otherworldly being who was so, so good and so perfect. And I think in the state that the world is in right now, we are hungry for that. We're hungry for people who can make us feel like somebody out there has got it all figured out and is going to be consistent and give us stability and be something we can trust in. And it's like a really human thing to want certainty, but I don't think we get to have it. I think the only thing we can be certain of is each other. That was beautiful. You got me a little bit choked up there. Oh that, was really, that was great. Yeah. And, you know, the, for me, that's why I kind of turned to X-Men and a little mm. bit as, as, as a not as, as just just someone who is just learning about it. Yeah. How, how flawed Wolverine is and how flawed people are. And yeah, I think that's why they're so popular. That's what I hear from a lot of people. Yeah. Is that yeah. there's a lot of like relatability in X-Men and sort of the variety of characters and the moral complexity of that universe is a little different from a like Superman. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's stuff that I'm learning just now where, you know, mm. Superman was written by Jewish immigrants and yeah. they, you know, and they wanted to, to feel, and Superman's an immigrant from another planet. Mm. Right. And he's an alien and they wanted to feel, I guess, I don't know if it was top of mind or it was subconsciously, they they wanted to put put that out there, uh, which, yeah. we, which I never to, even thought about. And to talk about power. And, you know, this is the place where, like, I, I want to be clear that the stuff that I'm getting all impassioned about is, like, I think these things can coexist. This is None of this is a dig at, like, I don't think superhero comics have their place in the culture or, like, are not a valuable vehicle for this. Because I think there's also something to be said for what you're talking about here of, like, how this this imagination, right? The tool of imagination can actually be a space to explore what power looks like for powerless people into question, you know, or like relatively powerless people in the, the strata of social power in the United States, especially. And there are a lot of really complex and fascinating questions unfolding these days in, you know, in fiction, in fantasy, in all of these different realms of like what happens when different people wield power. Is it a question of absolute power wields or corrupts absolutely, right? That's the phrase. And it, it just keeps making me think about there was a novel called the power a couple of years ago that came out about women suddenly being given the ability to like electrocute men at will uh and it was this like really kind of dark meditation on you know what happens if the amount of societal power that's traditionally wielded by men suddenly transfers to women because there are some people who say like oh well everything would just be automatically better and it's like would it <laughs> Or are people just people, right? And susceptible to the same corruptions and challenges and all the rest of it. And I think in terms of, especially at this moment, what we're seeing in terms of how imagination keeps culture alive and keeps pushing the envelope of how we can adjust and survive through truly unbelievable odds. And to see the types, I mean, I'm thinking specifically of the explosion of, you know, tons of people, especially over the last year, coming to black women writers who have been dabbling in the sort of Afrofuturist space or like talking about not dabbling in, I mean like building and creating dabbling is too slight a word for that contribution, but creating imaginative worlds that again, deal very clearly about like questions of power and heredity and to see how imagination and storytelling and superheroes and, you know, regular people coming together, all of that stuff, like all of it is, is weaving a net, right? And the net is like the thing that allows people to stay together through I mean, truly like hell, hellish odds. And so it's part, it's part of the same thing. And I suppose what I like about this is that when, when I was starting out in comics and this still happens occasionally that people will ask, you know, what's it like to be a woman in comics, assuming that I'm going to tell them a lot of horror stories about like, well, the superhero world is not very welcoming to people like me. I, again, not my, not my corner of the sand lot. And so like, I can't speak right. to that experience personally, but it always right. struck me as like, an overly simplistic question because it's a it's like not really relevant i don't i don't care the community of people that i was surrounded by growing up it was like or coming up in the comic scene i should say was diverse and getting more diverse all the time and like the amount of even just like social and emotional fluency that i can point to you know the trans and non-binary people in the comics community who have been generous enough to share their experience in comics or just like in being themselves on social media like i am a more fluent person in being able to be a compassionate, decent human being because of the things they've been willing to share. And I don't often feel like 
it is a, a scarcity mentality of like these two camps have to fight. And so I think what, what I would hope, you know, people could take away from this, especially given that your stated goal with the show is to kind of understand how people can feel welcome in this space is that it's all, it's all here. You know, this, the sandbox is really big and like, there is room if you want to do a superhero story, but also make it about the interconnectedness of all things, you know, like there's, there's all kinds of stuff about this. And there are so many different permutations and ways that people can like mix it and match it and make it work. And I think that's the traditional attitude that people talk about sometimes of like, oh, you used to go into a comic shop and like, if you weren't, you know, straight white, regular looking guy, you would get kind of hounded out of there. And that like that stuff happened and happens still, you know, I don't, it's, it's unfortunate, but like it does. I don't want to gloss over that, but I also feel like it is on the wane. And I think, you know, if you are looking for people who are excited to talk about telling stories, if you're looking for people who are excited to lift each other up, like those people are legion. There are mm. so many of them. Yeah, I had a conversation with Corey Bing yesterday. Who is oh, Corey. Tremendous. And, yeah. and she was talking about how she's just into people that are, you know, really into their thing. That's Yes, yes. Like whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Awesome. Like go. Yep. And I thought that was so endearing and so beautiful. And, and yeah, if, if, if there's a way, and I think you're doing it by not only championing uh, young people and mental health, but also you're saying, well, how do we do this sustainably? And right. business will follow where people go. So I yeah. think that you're asking really important questions that if this is where people are spending their time and we can throw ads in their face and make money off of it, then let's figure it out. Right. So and questioning, like, what are you sacrificing too? Because I think a lot of younger artists, you know, I talked to a lot of people who thought like, well, the only way to do this is to go to art school. So I guess I'll go to art school and I'll take on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And like, I can tell you that the one thing that will put paid to having a successful freelance career really quickly is like having to keep up on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt payments on top of trying to freelance. It's like, it's an absolutely absurd premise to, to make young artists go through something under that kind of pressure. And I know a big shift in the last few years has been people realizing like, oh, I don't know that I, if I had this to do over again, I don't know that I would have traded the financial freedom, the relative financial freedom of not being in debt for having this education, especially when there's so much, like this is another way that the internet I think has brought access to just an unbelievable wealth of resources. The challenge these days is not getting a hold of them as much as it is being able to like manage the overwhelm. And I even find this as somebody like wanting to do, you know, continuing education to explore more things. It's like there's schoolism and there's this, and there's, you know, design academies and there's online videos. And then there's just like YouTube, which is a whole thing. And then there's yeah. TikTok, And then there's, it's just like, it's, it's a lot. I I'm 31, which I would never have thought would make me an old, but like I, I'm an old on the internet. I'm tired. I don't understand any of it. I'm so just like ready to go build my own website and put me out to pasture. Like <laughs> I'm just I love over it. there. I took a class at SVA, which was, I think a, a maybe I don't remember how much it was. It was a couple hundred mm -hmm. bucks for world building with Carl Potts, who was mm. Carl Potts was head of Marvel's independent IP for, I mean, he was a, a third of Marvel's IP. He was wow. in charge of it. And now he teaches at SVA, right? And, and and you get this, this kind of guru to teach for, for a couple hundred bucks. And your friend, what, what's your friend's name again? That is Kara, did you say? Or, or? Which friend? That that teaches on that. Oh yeah, Cara Bean. Uh -huh. Bean like the like the bean. Oh cool. <laughs> like kidney yeah. bean. C A R I. I'll I'll uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to her as well. That that's that that's super cool. And where where do they go? And and you're right. You know. And then you look at NYU and they want to teach about storytelling and it and it costs thousands and thousands. Earth, right. Yeah. And you're like, well, what's, what, yeah. is that really worth that? To like just applying to the program, you know, or just applying for an undergraduate degree. I was just talking to a, a high school senior who was trying to pick between colleges. And one of them was the place I went to school and we were, and I didn't go to art school. I should also point out, I did go to a liberal arts college, which also had I not had significant financial aid would have been very debt inducing, mm. but which is also, you know, shout out to financial aid uh, yeah. <laughs> and yep. the FAFSA. But she was saying, you know, oh, well, given that it's 50 bucks to apply to every school. And I was like, oh my God, that's right. I forgot they charge you through the nose to just apply to college. And it's huh. like right there, you are putting, again, it's just like gate, yeah. gates, 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 gates. And uh, as I start to consider, you know, who, it just comes down to resources. Like the older I get, the more I think about this stuff. It's like, who has the money? Who has the time? who has the ability to 
get fluent in the terminology to feel comfortable enough to say, apply for a small business relief loan. Just to take an example from my own life this week, which I was not, I spent months thinking I wasn't valid. Like I I wasn't, you know, enough of a small business to qualify for these loans. And a fellow cartoonist was like, you know, you can get one of these, right? And like, it can help you make up for lost revenue. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And it was actually relatively easy, but relatively easy given that I had a friend who was willing to walk me through it. I had enough familiarity with my own taxes to be able to find the necessary figures. I didn't get totally freaked out, a little freaked out when I read all the legalese. And still with all of that stuff, I'm like, this, this can't be real, right? People don't just give other people money that you can then apply for forgiveness and then you just get to keep it. Like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. And so when I think about like what I, with my relative positions of privilege and freedom am able to do to get that money, then it's like, well, the people who really need this probably don't have the time or, you know, the like resources available to be able to get the training to find the people who are going to. And so like, what can we do as community members to make that information more accessible or to like ensure that we are advocating for the people who are currently not in a position to have the time to pursue that stuff. And so I think that's like with, you know, comics and like what I love about the fact that cars comics are going to be in a book that I can just like buy and send to people is that books are magic. Like they, they travel, they have lives outside of our hands and stories too. Like they, they go places that we just don't necessarily know. And I think for cartoonists, that can be a hard thing to remember. I know it is for me that mm. I often feel like my work is only real as long as I am working on it. And then mm. it is real in the moment when I physically hand it to another human being. But every other form of that, like what happens to that comic after I hand it to them? The fact that it lies around their house for a couple months and someone comes over for dinner and they pick it up and they read it and then they think, oh, that's cool. And then they give a copy to their sister. And like, you know, I have gotten crazy emails from people over the years who have like found my stuff in little free libraries in like cities I've never visited. And like, how did that get there? <laughs> it's awesome. Makes me want to put like, you know, tracking devices on every year. Uh... Yeah, no, that is, that is magic. You're right. You're right. And it's a weird well, business. Like it changes people in ways that, you know, you, you may not know. And you know, for, for me, culture change is, is all about storytelling. It, mm-hmm. it, it's a hundred percent. How do you change minds and hearts? And it's, uh, it's storytelling. And and there are you know, people that are doing great things in this world, but they don't have the storytelling to communicate that. And it sure. falls flat a lot of the time. And that's something I think cartoonists do well to remember is that this skill set is not, it can be hard working in an industry that like consistently undervalues your time financially to recognize that the skills that we have are actually worth a lot of money. And mm-hmm. I, I don't say that in a like get into comics to get rich quick kind of way. I mean it more in the sense of, and the same with theater, right? Like these, these creative pursuits, you know, it can be hard to quantify in a sort of traditional financing way how they're worth it. But mm-hmm. over time, I have come to see, you know, and especially like doing some work for for larger companies who have hired, who don't work with cartoonists, who aren't comics people. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay you as like an ideas communicator. And that's yeah. going to be hundreds of dollars per hour. And I'm like, where is all of this when we're working in comics? Like this is <laughs> a yeah. completely different ballgame. And yeah. to be able to communicate ideas clearly and inspirationally to other people, to make information discernible is like, I'm working on an essay right now. One of my patrons asked me a question about um, comics as activism and you know ways to use comics to explain complex social issues, to help elevate voices, to you know be involved in these movements when maybe you don't have a ton of money to throw behind your local Black Lives Matter chapter, but like you wanna be helpful. And Sometimes I think volunteering in a capacity that's separate from your work can actually be really nice and like rewarding and a good break from whatever stuff you get caught up in in your own business. But for that, and I'm finding as I'm writing about it, that it's like, yeah, this is really, if you pursue it consciously, you know, and you're careful about how you're stepping into things and not treading on people's toes, it can be a huge asset to be able to communicate ideas to people in a way that feels approachable, right? And friendly. And I think comics are great for that. And even just having like visual communication, visual literacy skills in general are invaluable. So it's like, none of this time is wasted, basically. (laughs) Absolutely. I am so grateful for this conversation. It really- I'm so glad that you reached out to me. This was really lovely. It really, it really, you bring such great thought leadership to it. Uh, Oh boy. Yeah. You got to own that that mantle fall heavily across my shoulders. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, um, let's go. You have like one or two sentences. We'll buzz through the questions. Beautiful. All right. 
So here we go. One or two sentences. Uh, they were okay. so interesting that I, I don't want them to go to waste because they were really great. <laughs> well, I mouthed off a lot about a bunch of stuff that I'm passionate about. So I can give you goofy one-liners now. That's fine. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it, you're a deep, deep creator. It's really beautiful. I'm really, really pleased and, and honored to, to have met you. So thank you. I'll, I want to keep in touch. Favorite fictional character and why in one or two sentences. Okay, this was a hard one. But when I was looking at my comics bookshelf, and just because I reread one of these books recently, Tony Cliff, a fellow cartoonist of my friend of mine, uh, created this heroine, Delilah Dirk, who is a lady adventurer uh, who travels around um, the European continent, getting into scrapes and scapes. Um, she's an excellent swordswoman and horseback rider, and is constantly getting into trouble and conducting daring escapades. She has a boat that can fly, and she's a big fan of naps and drinking tea, just like me. So Love it. it's like win-win you know representation is important i see myself also she's a photic sneezer which is the thing that i have where you walk into bright sunlight and you have to sneeze what? and in the most recent book there is a plot point that has to do with her sneezing in direct sunlight and i was so absolutely delighted by that that i've like she she has won a place in my heart forever so she's That's, top of my list right now i love it okay things that you do while not working Oh, so many things. Uh, I love being in or on the ocean. I'm really into bird watching. I've had a really, it's a really great bird week around here. I just watched a great horned owl snatch a bat out of midair two nights ago, like 20 feet away from me and then eat it on a branch, which was very cool. Cool. And then there was a Western screech owl in the tree outside my room last night, which has a call that is like a, uh, like a ball being dropped down a flight of stairs. You know, great horned owls are like, hoo, 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 hoo. but it, Western screech owls have this like, like it sounds like a ball that's just bouncing down some stairs. Anyway, yeah, bird watching, being in the ocean, reading a lot, reading so many books. Oh my God, all the time, that's, constantly. Yeah, you can tell you read, you're smart. Um, <laughs> what, what is your passion? The joke answer is boats, but also the serious answer is kind of boats. So let's just say boats. <laughs> boats, that's great. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool. Something funny or weird that happened during the book signing or convention. Mm. I think the answer I pre-gamed for this one was about the fact that usually I, I, I go really hard at conventions. I have a hard time stepping away from my table to take breaks. And typically uh -huh. like every time I'm about to step away, somebody who I know comes up and I'm like, oh, I just, I have to talk to my friend. So the only way I've figured out to make this work is that I have to get under my table and just like sit in the dark and eat my lunch like a gremlin on the floor. But of course, sometimes friends will still come up to the table and if I can hear their voices, and I can't resist and I can't just let whoever's minding my table be like, oh, come back in half an hour. She's taking lunch right now. She'll be back soon. I will just like stick my head out from under the tablecloth and greet people from the floor. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever given into the temptation to reach out and grab someone's ankles. Cause like, if it were me, I would find that really un unpleasant and destabilizing, but um, <laughs> I, I do it. want to every time. <laughs> we know where to find you now. Your secret's out. Yeah, exactly. If I'm not at my table, just lift up the, lift up the skirt. I'll be down there. All right. One word answers in the next three minutes ready one word answers what is your superhero power vulnerability what is one superhero person that we were talking about before you said it was your friend not your parents not my parents i think uh th this is hard i know a couple but my friend mara zapeta is a absolute powerhouse who connects people and does good work and does all of this financial re redistribution stuff i'm i'm hot for so i think she is my she's my pick thank you for your work mara um social awareness we talked about your about financial transparency yep, it's about money. that money. Money, money money i agree a thousand percent with that you talked about miles morales uh that <laughs> what bravery is to you which was beautiful got me choked up what would you do to bring your fans into the space in an innovative way you have one sentence i have done this i made name tags and asked them to write down what their inner critic says to them which they have to wear then for the rest of the signing Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. Okay. Can you do any impressions or party tricks? Yes, I do a very good dolphin impression. Can we hear it? Yes, you may. Ah! <laughs> uh, let me take one more stab at that because that was a little too high. It's more like a yeah, there you go. It's like more in the back of the throat, you know, you got to and you have to like do the dolphin movement at the same time. I'm sorry, podcast listeners, you are missing out. Oh my gosh. That was genius. All right. All right. Speed round. Comfort food. One word. Custard. Sweet or salty? 
Salty. Favorite song to sing in the shower? Sea shanties. <laughs> Fly or teleport? It is so hard. <laughs> uh, teleport. Cyclops or Wolverine? I don't know the difference. Uh, Wolverine. <laughs> uh, introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Super strong or super smart? Super strong. Yeah. Ooh. Beach, mountains, or forest? Beach, but also forest, but also mountains. <laughs> Favorite non-male superhero? There are lots of good ones, and I don't know enough about them, all That's of okay. them. I'm going to say Squirrel Girl because my friend Ryan writes the series, and I, I love his writing, and I also think that all of the gags that I've seen from it are just so delightful. So Squirrel Girl. Oh, cool. I'd love to now. talk to that dude. Uh, He's, oh, he is a hoot and a half. Oh, that's good. He's Favorite... very tall and very handsome and very Canadian. Hey, that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite author and illustrator. And you have many, I'm sure. Yeah, this one is also hard. Uh, currently, I am just absolutely in awe of Cyril Pedrosa. Wow, cool. I got to Google that person. Yeah, he's great. Top three movies. Cutthroat Island obligatory nautical favorite broadcast news a film that i had only seen for the first time recently that i am absolutely in love with and uh into the spider-verse i would say is is up there right now i love it okay last question new york or chicago style pizza chicago's the one with all the crust right yeah yes chicago <laughs> i'm sorry new york i'm sorry <laughs> man i take it to heart but you know what you got to not reveal you're from New York before you ask that question. Because yeah. I feel like then people uh, are going to be like, eh, it's not safe. <laughs> What's true. he going to do to me if I say? Sure. You're right. You know what? What? Uh, I, I Thank you for going over time. What a pleasure meeting you and learning from you. Um, These were great questions. It was really fun to dive into some of this stuff. And I'm, I'm glad I had a day to sit with them, honestly, because this brought up a lot of interesting questions for me of like how I conceptualize some of these things and where... It's just always fun to do stuff like this and have these conversations because every time I talk about these things with other people, they become a little clearer, right? It's like yeah. it's it's like pitching your own book to other people. Every time you do it, you just get a little a little more comfortable with like, oh, that's you get a little closer, I guess, to what it's really about, right? And these were kind of slantwise unusual, different sorts of questions than the ones I usually field. So it was really a great opportunity to consider where I'm at on some of these positions these days. Well. Thank you for that. You know, I, we put some thought into them. Where, um, where can people find you? So everything uh, that you would need, free, free comics, books, Patreon, newsletter, social media, all that stuff is all on my website. It's Lucy Bellwood, L-U-C-Y-B-E-L-L-W-O-O-D.com. And on most social media, I'm less active there than I used to be, but I pop in every so often. Um, I'm Lou Bell Woo, L-U-B-E-L-L-W-O-O. And that's usually Twitter and Instagram is where you can find me. Well, what a pleasure. Uh, and I, I will keep in touch with you and read your stuff and be a, I'm already a fan. Awesome. I can't wait to see where the show goes. It's going to be great. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're, we're, it's going to take a second to get it all, the machine moving. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And to be continued. All right. Thanks, Nate. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. Yay. Bye.